This is the Pariah Podcast, written and read by me, Philip Norville Joe Carroll. This is episode 13, The New Camp. Five days' march brought the battalion to a junction on the northern highway. One day marching south led them to the borders of the Creature Handler training camp. The entire battalion traveled in a malaise from the events of the court-martial. Competition remained between the corps, but at a less enthusiastic level, until they saw the camp rising on the horizon. Excitement for becoming their king's and country's elite fighting force returned. The camp must have spotted their approach as well. Ten ticks of flying creatures, one hundred animals and their handlers, flew out from the camp, circled the entire parade three times, and turned back. The leading tick was, of course, tiger hawks. Following shortly thereafter was a tick of dragon dogs, with broad leathery wings, long necks, and the blunt heads of bull mastiffs. A tick of bat chucks followed, with black velvet wings and round furry bodies. Like the bat chucks, cat hawks were smaller than the tiger hawks, more maneuverable, and in the case of the cats, uniformly silver tabby colored. More ticks followed, made up of similar creatures, yet probably with less experienced flyers. Even with all the studying he had done during long winters, Keo didn't recognize some of the animals, their winged bodies carrying the head or tail of an exotic, unfamiliar animal. There would be more creatures and handlers in the camp, the newly hatched and other land-bound animals. The quartermaster called a halt for lunch at the normal hour. Such an uproar rose from the battalion, with the camp in sight and only a few hours away, that Major Jurelian gave them permission to eat from their emergency rations, take a short break, and return to the parade to push on to the camp. The training camp seemed to rise up from the broad open plain, which gradually rose to the east for another hundred miles before rippling into foothills and then the sharp and treacherous impassable mountains beyond. There was no city grown up around the gates of the camp. There was nothing a town could provide for the people within. All food was ordered from the capital. All uniforms and training materials were carted to the camp on military wagons, and most of the soldiers within were too young to drink or visit houses of ill repute. A few nearby villages did provide some milk, meat, and fresh fruits and vegetables. The camp was not a fort. No high walls or timber fences kept people in or out. The road continued past the eastern camp entrance and rolled almost a hundred miles more down the gently undulating hills to the Midland Swamp, where they would gather their creature eggs in a year's time. Through the entrance, a short road took them to the heart of the camp's administration buildings, classrooms, and armories. Surrounding that, to the north and east, Keo saw rows of single-story barracks, with broad practice areas between them. As the parade reached the camp, the deputy commander stood before the command office to greet Major Jurelian and accept the trainees. The major brought the battalion to a halt, in front of the lieutenant colonel. They saluted one another, shared a few short words, smiling like they were old friends, and saluted again. The major and the lieutenants, who had traveled more than 300 miles with the trainees, walked away, down a street to some administration buildings. Two wagons had joined the parade three days earlier, 
carrying a number of trainees who had been late to the selection. A few were designate thirds, but the balance was normal creature handler selectees. Having ridden for most of the distance, they remained with the wagons for the final three days, as they wouldn't have been in good enough shape to keep up with those who had been marching for the previous weeks. After the trainees climbed off, the wagons followed the others, which had carried the personal gear of the battalion and parked along a large field. "'I am Lieutenant Colonel Swillery, your new father,' the commander said. His deeply resonant voice rumbled across the entire battalion. "'When your mother held you in your arms for the first time and looked into your adorable little faces, she knew that you would one day be in the care of someone like me. She believed that after five years you would return to her and only leave for military camps once a year for the subsequent ten years.' She didn't know you would be joining the Creature Handler Corps. For the better part of the next five years, this is your home. How happy you will be in your new home depends on a number of different factors. But the most important to you is how happy I am. How happy I am will depend on how each of you obeys the camp rules. The next year will be the easiest of your life because you will have no decisions to make. Your every minute will be planned for you. Relax and enjoy it. Be where you are supposed to be when you are supposed to be there. Stay with your link, corps, or company throughout the day and do what they are doing. I will be happy, and you will be happy. Right now, the last thing your current corps leaders will do is march you past the supply wagons to gather your gear and then into the assembly area. This is the area here to my right. You will fill the benches from the back to the front, from the far end to the close end. Corps leaders, collect the practice swords. Bring them and your other weapons to this cart, and check them in with the weapons master before returning to the bench area. Do that now. Keo marched his corps, following those in the lead, and collecting the link leaders' practice swords as they filed onto the wooden benches. At the cart, when it was his turn, he placed the wooden slat swords down and unbelted his sword. He slid his hand along the scabbard, admiring the inlaid silver and gold in the fine steel sheath. He handed it to the weapons master, who took it without thought and set it aside. "'Excuse me, sir,' Keo said. "'Do I get a receipt for my sword?' "'Oh, yes, sorry, son. Is this weapon yours?' he asked, retrieving it from the cart." Yes, sir, Keo said. The master looked at the ribbon, holding the sword in his scabbard, and then did just as Keo had. He passed his fingertips along the flat of the scabbard. This scabbard is elegant, son. Are you a designate third? No, sir. I come from a ranch near the swamp hills, Keo said. How did you come by such a fine blade, then? The weapons master looked down on Keo from beneath woolly white eyebrows. I was given it as a reward for capturing a pair of murderers along the southern highway, Keo said. That sounds like a fascinating tale. We unfortunately do not have time for now. I'd like to hear it sometime, when we're not so busy. Can you sign your name? He asked, handing Keo a small square of parchment, bearing a description of Keo's scabbard, and a long number from a ribbon the weaponer secured to the hilt. Keo said he could and signed the card. The master signed the card as well and said, I'll take good care of your sword. You'll only be using practice swords for the next few years, but any time you want, that is, when you want and have free time, 
you may come by and check the sword and ensure it hasn't been tampered with or mishandled. Keo thanked the master and hurried back to the benches in the assembly area. In the assembly area, they were told the endless rules of training to be a creature handler. They were given a breakdown of daily activities and the chains of command. In the camp, they would be divided into four companies, each with a lieutenant as commander. Each company would have four corps. New corps leaders would be chosen, and he or she would again be responsible for choosing link leaders. In the first year, there will be no fraternization allowed. Rooms will be divided to girls or boys only, though the barracks will be mixed. It is each person's responsibility, and that of the corps leader, to ensure there is no mixing in the rooms. Anyone caught fraternizing will be severely punished. All participants in the procreation of a child will be reassigned to the Civil Service Corps. More freedom will be allowed in your second year. They were dismissed to eat dinner, provided by the cooking staff, on portable tables brought out for the purpose, but told to stay in the area as they would have another assembly at five before midnight to receive their room and core assignments. Keo was putting vegetables onto his plate to go with the slices of cold meat and bread when someone bumped him hard enough to send some of his food back onto the serving tables. Storgant Vangold sneered at him. How does it feel to be a nobody again? No shunny, Vangold asked. I don't know. Why don't you tell me? I'll be a corps leader again, and you'll be just a rotting trainee. I hope to all the gods you end up in my corps. I won't give you a day of peace. Why, Storgant? What is it about me that threatens you? Nothing. You're dog squirt to me. I don't care if you live or die. Then why do you hope I end up in your core so that you can make my life a living hell? You already do, you know. My life here would be wonderful if not for you. I hate useless commons like you. You think you're better than you are, like we owe you something. I'll tell you this right now. I owe you nothing. I've worked my whole life to gain the political position I have. I'm preferred third of the Vangledown designation. Do you know what that means, farm boy? Nobody? That means I will someday be the designate of the western half of the capital, all the way to the climb. And that means, when we take the lowlands for ourselves, I will be in charge of everything from the capital to the sea. I've worked for that. You can have no idea what it means to work that hard. You're right. I don't know what it means to work that hard because it doesn't sound to me like you've worked at all. You wouldn't know hard work if it walked up and slapped you on your skinny backside. Mark my words, you may have prepared to take the political position of an old man someday, and I believe you'll get it, whether you deserve it or not. But I know my destiny will overshadow yours. I know what I am and where I'm going, and you and everybody here will be subject to my destiny. Really? How will that be? Vangold asked. Keo didn't know. He'd always known he had a destiny to do great things, but he had no idea what that was, and now he had boasted himself into a corner. I'll fly a tiger hawk, Keo said. He knew that much, but why it was important, he didn't know that either. And you'll just have to wait and see. Oh, yeah? You've got me there. I'll just wait and see, Storgant mocked him and walked away laughing. Keo seethed. He had never been this angry in his life. Of course, he had never been so stupid in his life either. Who was he to brag about his future? 
He felt damaged or soiled for the first time in his life. He wished he could take back, unsay the things he had blabbered. Bree appeared beside him and asked, How can you make that claim? None of us knows what we will get when the egg hatches. We can hope. I know, Keo said. I was told that I have a destiny. I'll do great things. It follows that I must fly the king of all the battle creatures, the tiger hawk. Bree shrugged and said, I've got enough food. Do you want to sit down and eat? No, I'm not hungry anymore, Keo said, and left his plate at the serving carts. Do you want to sit with me anyway? Sure, as long as you don't fraternize with me, Keo said. Well, forget it, if you're going to be mean, she said, and turned away. No, Bree, wait. I meant for it to sound silly, not mean. It just didn't come out right. I'll sit with you, I want to. She turned back to him, the hurt in her eyes fading with the increasing brightness of her smile. They found a spot next to one of the empty wagons and sat on the grass. Who told you you have a destiny? Was she a prophetess or a soothsayer? Bree asked. No, not a prophetess or anything like that. I don't think those kind of people are trustworthy anyway. She was someone very important, though. I can't tell you who, because she made me promise never to tell. It would be smarter not to mention your destiny, then, if you can't validate your statements by giving the name of the person who told you. You're right, Bree. I don't know what came over me. That pig's mayor got me all worked up for telling me how important he thinks he is. I just couldn't stop myself. Pig's mayor? Bree laughed. Yeah, the pig may be a mayor, but he's still a pig, even if he thinks he's very important. I guess that's me, too. No, Keo, you're not. I know you have a destiny, and it must be important, because things happen around you that don't happen to the rest of us. It must seem like a real weight sometimes, knowing you have this unknown responsibility. I hope I can help you somehow. You know, reach your potential, bring on your destiny. I'm sure you will. I've really gotten to like you. When I first saw you, I thought... Keo didn't finish his statement. You thought what? She said, smiling, but an acidic bite burned beneath her words. I don't know. That was long ago. I know you now, he said, leaning back from her. It wasn't that long ago. The most it would be is a month. Now tell me, before I get mean and fraternize my fist on top of your head, she said, standing up and leaning over him. I wish you would, right here and now. Keo sat next to Bree in the long wooden bleachers, more aware of her presence next to him than the deputy commandant listing the company commanders. Each was from the permanent force at the training camp, and he was sure he would know them all too well within a few days. The commandant then listed the corps leaders. Keo looked at Bree, who rolled her eyes and mouthed the words, No big surprise, as he read off the names of the nine designate thirds, plus another three who had arrived on the latecomer's wagon. Of the twelve designate thirds, the first was a recently demoted Storgant Vangled. The last was a new girl from the wagon, Crystal Spinebeck. That was twelve corps leaders, all of them designate thirds. They wouldn't need any non-designates as corps leaders. Ice settled into Keo's stomach as he realized he could end up as a trainee in Storgan's corps. The lieutenant colonel shuffled through some papers and settled on one. With the addition of the latecomers, we have too many trainees for only three companies. 
though it will make each of the cores smaller than normal. We've added a fourth company. Therefore, we need four more correlators. Chandrali Bendel, Milton Himmler, Fowler Boldmaker, and Kiono Shane will be assigned as correlators. Bree grabbed his arm and hugged it in congratulations. Her touch filled him with a sense of acceptance. Her reassuring squeeze gave him confidence, and he regretted how none of them would have any such comfort for the next year. He would miss having the odd-looking girl around. She would be a good support for any core leader wise enough to choose her as a link leader. He hoped her new core leader would see that and take advantage of her intelligence and compassion. "'I'll miss you, Bree,' he said. "'Thanks. I'll miss you, too,' she said, squeezing once more and dropping her hands back to her lap. Lieutenant Colonel Swillery called the corps leaders from the bleachers, formed them into two lines, and called them to attention. As the deputy commander spoke to them, the four company commanders arranged the trainees into 16 equal groups and sent them to their barracks. This is the last command I will give you. For the rest of your time at the training camp, all orders will come down to you through the chain of command. Any questions or concerns you have that I should consider will be likewise set up through the chain of command. Company A will have the following core leaders. The commander listed the core leaders, which would be in each company. Fortunately, Storgant was not in the same company as Keo. In fact, only one of the core leaders in Company C was the designate third, Crystal Spinebeck from the latecomer's wagon, a small girl with mousy, fearful eyes. The four groups of leaders were then handed off to their company commanders, and Swillery left. Company C, core leaders, form up and come to attention, their lieutenant said. I don't know what I did to piss off the camp commander enough to saddle me with four useless core leaders like you, three non-designates and a girl. All I can say is, choose your link leaders well. I'll be looking for your eventual replacements with some real leadership skills from your cores. I'll probably choose one of your link leaders to take your place. If you're lucky, they'll be good enough leaders to make you look like you know what you're doing, and you just might stay where you are. But I doubt it. He looked them up and down. I'm Lieutenant Gorley, but all you need to know is I own you like a lord, and everything you say to a lord begins with sir. Girl, what is your name? he asked. When Chanderly Bendel began to speak, he said, Not you, the designate girl. When she replied, her voice was too faint to hear. Gorley's face turned beet red. Do you think my question isn't important enough to answer, designate third? Do you think I want to play games and ask you to please repeat yourself? I'm stuck with you. I can dump any one of these non-designate dogs in a heartbeat. But you, I have to go see the camp commander and beg her, Please, ma'am, may I dump this useless designate third on her rotting ass and replace her with someone with enough of a backbone to speak up when I ask her a question? Keo felt sorry for the girl, having been born into something for which she appeared unsuited. She may be a wonderful creature handler, empathic and sensitive to the needs of her creature. However, leadership was not going to come easily, and the abusive Lieutenant Gorley looked like he was going to enjoy grinding her into paste. Now, give me your name so that I could hear it. Keo thought she did remarkably well under the pressure. Her voice only cracked once, and though the sound of it was just loud enough to reach the lieutenant, it did sound like she was shouting. Sir... I am Crystal Spinebeck. A Spinebeck third. 
by the gods, I hope I'm dreaming and will wake soon in hell. Now, you non-des girl. I'm Shanderly Bindle, she shouted with confidence and strength. He looked to the next corps leader, who responded with, Sir, I am Minton Himmler. Sir, I am Kyo Noshani. Noshani, do you have any relatives at this camp? Not that I can say, sir. It was an obscure answer, but one he had worked out during the many hours of marching. It sounded like he had said no, but didn't literally mean it. The lieutenant eyed him a moment longer, and then turned his attention to the four slips of paper in his hand. Here are your assignments. Your corps are already finding their rooms in the barracks. Tonight, you will need to select your link leaders, assign door guards for the hours of three before to five after midnight. Breakfast begins promptly at the sixes. Have your corps in formation no later than a quarter before, or you won't be eating. After breakfast, you'll have another orientation in the assembly area. The rest of your daily schedules will be given to you at that time. I hope you rotting sewer rats can read. Come to attention. When the four had snapped to attention, the lieutenant dismissed them, turned, and hurried away. Company C, Corps 4, Keogh said, looking across a large field toward a row of buildings. Four sets of four, each set separated by a space of a hundred yards, trainees milled around in front of each of the buildings. I'd say that one over there, he said to the others, and hurried toward the last building of the third set. The other three fell in behind. Keogh slowed down, letting them catch up, and then resumed his quicker pace, hoping they would walk beside him, so he didn't have to talk over his shoulder. These three were now his peers. They were the only others in the company who were of equal rank and should be treated differently than the trainees of their corps. The lieutenant is a pleasant fellow, isn't he? Keogh said, trying to lighten the mood. The others laughed briefly, but Crystal Spinebeck continued. He shortly realized she wasn't laughing. She was crying. She stopped walking and buried her face in her hands. The others gathered around her. Shander Lee put a hand on the crying girl's shoulder, and Keo said, Spinebeck, I mean, Crystal, I like that name. I've never heard that used as a girl's name before, but my mother has four good crystal glasses she brings out on special occasions, and I've always loved the way they catch the light. The rest nodded but said nothing. Keo put his hand on the little girl's shoulder and squeezed gently. You're going to do all right. We just need to get through these next few days. If we just do what Lieutenant Gorley says, I'm sure he'll soften up and start cutting us some slack. And what's the worst that could happen? He relieves us of our duty and we go back to being regular trainees without any more responsibility than the rest? That might be okay for you. But I have to graduate as a corps leader, or I can never return home. Keo wanted to say that his sister trained as a creature handler, and even if she wanted to go home, she couldn't very often, not with the responsibilities she has. Instead, he said, I guess I figured this thing wrong with the designate thirds. All of you sound like you have plans other than being creature handlers. I can't imagine anything better than that. As a plain old creature handler, this is our new home for life. And once we have our creatures, we'll never be alone, even if we don't have a family. Our creatures will be our constant companion, and there's nothing better. You might even be happier without your designate dumping all these expectations on you. Just plan on being a creature handler like the rest of us, and you won't be disappointed, no matter what happens. I wish I could, she said and sniffed. 
they turned back to the barracks. As they got closer, they could see each building was identified with a corps number on them. At the far right, letters above the building door declared C4. Here's mine. Which ones are you in? Keo asked. I'm in one, Crystal said. I'm in two, Chandrilly said. Guess which I have, Minton said. All right then, I'll look for all of you tomorrow morning, Keo said, and hurried into his building. Right inside the door, an entry room stretched the width of the long, narrow building. A table sat to one side, with an unlit lantern in the middle. Other stools and benches occupied most of the opposite side. Directly across from the front door, another door left the anteroom and opened into a long hall with eight small rooms on each side. The corps leader had a room to himself or herself. With roughly twenty-five trainees to each new corps, some of the rooms were left empty. Keo dropped his bundle on the bed in the corps leader room and walked down the hallway, checking that each room housed only girls or boys. He greeted each person, tried mentally to log each name in his brain, and evaluated them as a potential link leader. Three trainees from his previous corps cheered when they saw he was their leader. By the time he had walked the length of the hall and back, he had met each of the trainees, except for those in the room opposite his. He knocked on the door and said, Hello, corps leader here. Can I come in? The door opened, and an orange-headed maniac leapt out at him. Keo, I'm so glad it's you. I'm glad it's you too, Bree, but this is getting awfully close to fraternization. He laughed and she stepped back with her wide-toothed smile, splitting her overly freckled face. Who's your roommate? Keo asked. Oh, right. This is Belinda Theosen. She was in Vangold's corps on the way to camp. She said she was so happy to get away from him. That's the truth, Belinda said. He was a non-existent tyrant. How does that work? I thought you'd have to be around to be a tyrant. He would suddenly show up, assume you'd done something wrong, and develop some absurd punishment. It didn't matter who you were, a nobody like me, or one of the link leaders. He punished everybody. But his link leaders always got an easy punishment, like bringing his dinner from the food line, while we were digging latrines that would never get used. Are you all organized in your room? Keo asked. Yes, mostly, Bree said. Keo fidgeted with a thumbnail. Could you go down to the first corps? There's a corps leader. She's a designate third who came in on the latecomer's wagon. Crystal Spinebeck. Could you see if she needs any help? Honestly, Bree, she's lost, and I hate to see our lieutenant chew her up on the first morning. You would make a much better leader than her. Oh, I'll go help right now. Belinda, do you want to come? She nodded and followed Bree. Oh, Bree. Keo said as she reached the door to the anteroom. I'm making you a link leader again, okay? You're supposed to tell me, not ask me. I know, but I wanted you to get a chance to say no if you'd had enough of it on the way here. I'd be a link leader for you any time, Bree said and blushed. That sounded strange. Don't repeat it, okay? Keo went back to his room grabbed a pen, inkwell, and a sheet of paper, and walked back down the hall. He asked each of the trainees their names, and wrote them down, and what room they were in. He still had to make a duty roster, and choose some more link leaders. The trainees had segregated themselves, to boys on the left hand of the passage, and girls on the right. The last occupied room on the left had a single boy, who startled when Keo poked his head in. "'I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you,' Keo said." looking around the dim room. 
All the other rooms had two boys and thus two lanterns in them, but seemed more than twice as bright. Do you need help putting any of your things away? No, the boy gasped as if Keo's presence made it hard to breathe. I'm fine. He shoved a linen satchel beneath the wooden slats that held his straw-tick mattress off the floor and turned to face him. I don't recognize you. Did you come on the latecomer's wagon? Keo asked. Yes, he shuffled his feet and looked at the floor. My father is a merchant, and we were living abroad. Travel back to the capital took longer than we expected, and we came in late. You have an unusual accent. Where were you living? Keo asked. In the Sutherlands. Keo looked at the list he had made. Your name is Nick Waterside? The boy nodded. You should talk with Bree Oakley. She's also from the Sutherlands. You might know some of the same places, Keo said, trying to make the boy feel welcome. It only seemed to make him more agitated. He folded his paper and tucked it into his tunic. Anyway, welcome to Corps 4, Company C. It's good to have you. Thank you, Nick said, nodding his head while looking at the floor. In the morning, as each of the corps were assembling on the parade ground in front of the C Company barracks, Keo walked down to the first corps to see how Crystal was faring. Good morning, Corps Leader Spinebeck. How are you this morning? Keo asked. Her dark mouse-like eyes flashed with fear, and she snatched at her short brown hair. Apparently, other tasks that morning had been more pressing than her personal grooming had, and her hair looked the worse for it. Then it was as if she suddenly woke and said, Oh, no, Shawnee. Thank you for sending Oakley down to help me last night. I guess she was one of your link leaders on the parade. I wish I could keep her as one of my own. She was such a great help. I knew she would be, Keo said, looking past the two corps between his and Spinebeck's. Bree and the other corps leaders stood at parade rest in front of their links, ready for morning inspection. He turned to leave and said, Just so you know, I'm here to succeed. I have important things to do. For my company, this company, to do poorly would be for me to fail. And that's just not going to happen. Here comes the lieutenant. Stay strong. You'll be great. Keo hurried back to his corps. They were all in place, his four link leaders looking confident and in control. Corps, come to attention, Keo said, and didn't about face as the lieutenant approached. He dropped his chin to his chest in salute and said, Good morning, Lieutenant Gorley. Gorley responded with a cursory nodded salute as he passed by Keo to his position between the second and third corps. Lieutenant Gorley took advantage of every opportunity to shout at the trainees. Though it was usually those who were closest at hand, he seemed to go out of his way to single out Corps Leader Spinebeck. If there was a pattern to set fire to the commander's wrath, Keo couldn't tell. Every time Lieutenant Gorley found Spinebeck lacking, or even when she wasn't, he took his anger out on her corps, and more often than not, on the rest of the company. While other companies enjoyed a relaxing meal in the dining facility, or lounged beneath the shade trees along the parade grounds, Lieutenant Gorley had C Company stand silently at attention, the sun beating down on them, or spring rain showers soaking them through to the skin. The second morning, Keo and the rest of C Company stood at attention and watched every other trainee in the battalion march into the dining building and out before Lieutenant Gorley released them to eat their breakfast. 
You babies have 15 minutes to get in there, eat, and get out before we do our calisthenics, the lieutenant laughed. I wouldn't waste a lot of time eating since most of that food is going to end up on the ground anyway. Why does he do it? Boren Tinderer, one of Keo's link leaders, asked, between shoveling porridge into his mouth. We lost half of our time to eat that we could have if we just followed the last company into the lodge. I think he wants to make us angry so that someone will blow up and give him a reason to really punish us, Keo said with a laugh. You don't think it's all that Spinebeck designate third's fault? The lieutenant always seems angry at her for something, Boren said, looking over the tops of trainees' heads, bending over their food. It seems like he's always shouting about her just before he comes down on the rest of us. Fault? Keo asked. I wouldn't say that. I think that Gorley wants us to blame her for our hard going so that she'll have a tougher time. He really hates the designates and their thirds for some reason. Keo finished his own mush and got to his feet. I'll try to find out. If we can figure out what tips him over the edge, we might be able to keep him off our backs a little. Depositing his tin plate in the scullery trough, Keo shouted at the trainees in the dining hall. We start running on the quarter to the sixes chime. That's any minute now. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. The sooner we're ready, the less we'll have to run. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author, producer, is more sustaining than food and water. If you'd like to know what else I've written, or am writing, stop by my website at norvaljoe.com, or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Author. Philip with one L, Carol with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.